so I sort of floated in and out of church. First time I had heard the gospel, and that's the first time I heard a lot of the Bible stories. But, you know, I floated in and out. And But at that time in my life, I was also watching a lot of Nova, and I was looking at science. And, and I believe at that time in my life, I was almost an agnostic. Because what I seen about church, I didn't like a lot. You know, I didn't like the three-piece suits and cutting your hair. And that, that seems to be a big difference now that I'm bald-headed and everything. But I, th- I thought all those things back in the 70s, that shows you how old I am, it just didn't appeal to me. And I would listen to Carl Sagan, and I remember him saying stuff like, there was not no, there was the Red Sea was never parted. I remember him saying they didn't work with copper. I remember saying they, them saying on these shows there wasn't no Jericho. And, and I will say this, since then, archaeology has proved all that to be false. All those things has come to pass. They found all that. But at that time in my life, I was borderlining on this. And, uh, and of course, like I said, uh, but God was working, and God was progressing. But I remember going to school, and uh, I applaud you teachers. And if you teachers are believers or have access to kids, the things that you sow into them is very important. But I had two teachers, and one was Jack New. Jack New happened to be a member of Stinson Baptist Church. But I would sit in his class, and the, and the kids would say, get Jack New talking about the Bible, we'll get off our lesson. And uh, someone who, they were, now these guys were Christians, I wasn't, you know. And he, they would pose a question to him, and next thing I know, I was getting Bible lessons. And I would sit there and listen. I don't really remember too much about science class, but I remember what Jack New shared. And I would listen to these stories, and I would think. Then I had a lady named Miss Alexander. She was one of my favorite teachers. The only thing I actually liked in school was art, and she's also my science teacher. She was a little lady about this big. She sounded like a drill sergeant. Everybody struck the fear of God in them when she was around. That's the kind of authority that she had. But I... but. She posed a question to me as a youth that got me thinking. And she said this, and we were studying evolution. And about that time also, I can remember, I didn't mention this in the earlier, but this was uh, this where they thought we weren't going to first start not being able to allow to talk about Jesus in school. And we looked how far we'd come in some places. This Mix Alexander said this, and she, and she held up the science book, and just talking about evolution. And she said this, just about per word, I'll say it. I have to teach you this crap. But I do not believe this, that we come from monkeys. I believe God created us. But I am required to teach you this crap. And, uh, but what I got out of that was, I asked myself a hard question. What did I believe? really know what I believed and like I said at the same time God was sowing all these seeds from these youth from from my teachers and these things and so I did something very odd I went home and I prayed I can't say I really had anybody I talked to about it or shared with me but I went home and prayed this prayer God if you exist you need to show yourself to me and 
first thing I thought to do, well, maybe I should read the Bible. I just so happened up the book, read the first book, John. I'm glad I didn't open the Lamentations chapter. But I opened up the book of John, and I read the book of John. What I got out of the book of John was three things. God loved me, and I was really cool with Jesus. Wasn't so cool with the church, or what I thought the church was. And I recognized that he loved me, and he died on the cross for me, and I also recognized that I was a sinner. That's what I recognized. So, God's progressive. And so with those things in my mind, you know, I decided it was a process, and I went out and bought my, the nearest thing to Christian music I could find was Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, some of you guys know music, might remember those. But, again, what did I get? God loved me. God died for me. Especially when the song came up when they was whipping Jesus with the whip. So I went to, so I went to church. I just happened to go. They inspired me to come to Revival at East Wimson Baptist Church. And at East Wimson Baptist Church, they had a visiting pastor doing the revival. And my, my night that I was there, I heard fire, brimstone, and going to hell. And this shows you how arrogant and stupid I was. I sat there with my arms crossed, and I said, there's no preacher going to scare me into doing anything. That shows you where I was. Well, a process of time went on. God is still progressive. God is still working. And uh, after that, I decided to go to church when the pastor was preaching. Brother Bogazart was a little short guy, about this big. And I come to find out later that he had been called late in life. He was a he had worked construction, and uh, I knew. I asked him when we one time we were doing RAs. I didn't share this, but I said, Brother Bozart, I said, didn't you lose a, lose a big paying job to come take this pastor's job? He said, but the dividends gone it, I got a whole lot better than his job. But I went went to church, and I sat right on the back row, a little bit up, a little bit. And I had Danny Lusk with me, my buddy, and uh, we had been going to church some out of the urging of these girls and things, and he went with me. We hung out together. And I remember Brother Bozart preaching from the book of John preaching about God's love well when the invitation was given I did this I stepped out started going down the aisle and he grabbed me by the shoulder and he pulled me back in and he said Donnie he said let's wait and go tonight when it's not so crowded you know uh, East Wimson Baptist is just like First Baptist there's not as many there on Sunday night and so uh, so uh, the night came along and what happened was we went up on the airport, and his dad had a plane up there. And he was working on his plane. We assisted him in that. And then we did what boy stuff does. But Howard didn't get me back for church that night. I was up there on the airport. But that week, Dan, Danny went on vacation. That Monday morning, they took off and went to Florida. And I was there. But all week long, God's progressive. God's always working. And that week... Uh, 
couldn't wait till Sunday morning to come on because you know what? I figured if I died in between that time, I was going to go to hell, and I wanted to get right with God. My association with being saved was I had to go up in the aisle. I had to go forward and get saved. So that Sunday, I sat from, the, from going from the back, I sat in like the third row, and I sat there. Brother Bozart preached. I don't not hear not one word he said. But I'll tell you what happened. Me and the devil and Jesus were having an awful battle in that third row back there. Satan was remind, reminding me of all the friends I was going to lose, all I was going to give up, but Jesus was reminding me what he had for me. But when the invitation was given, I don't even remember leaving my seat, but I was on the front row. Brother Bozart led me to Christ. He, he said, do you know you're a sinner? And I said, oh, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Not only me, but the police department and everybody in Wimpson knows I'm a sinner. And uh, they, knew me, they knew my name well. It's that Ratcliffe and Davis boy. We're always getting in stuff. And, uh, and he told me I need to repent of my sins. Then he asked me if I believed in Jesus. And he went through the gospel presentation, the death, burial, and resurrection. And I said, I believe that. Then he said, Donnie, what well, next thing you got to do is you got to ask him in your heart. John 1, 12, as many as many received him, he gives the power to become the sons of God. And I did that. And I told you, God's progressive. And I did that. And I started going to church, started going to Sunday school a little bit, floating in around. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't have a church background, guys. But I started going to stuff. And I started reading my Bible some. But you know what? I hate to say this, and this happens a lot in churches. It happens a lot when kids go to college. But God's progressive, but Satan's progressive too. Can you say amen? We, what happened, at, there was a situation that happened at our youth program. One of the leaders the, um, of the church stood up and offended me and a bunch of the youth. And I got upset, and I got mad, and I left the church. Now, the intent that this gentleman did was right, but the way he did it was wrong. You understand? And I don't blame the church, for, but I was very immature as a believer. And I decided that church doesn't want me, doesn't love me, so I went back and tried to do the things I was doing before. But remember, God's progressive, and Satan is too. So I started doing the party, and I started doing all the stuff my friends was doing, but, my, but I wasn't happy. One of the reasons I knew there was something different, me and sin had conflict. I never had conflict before when I sinned. I planned to sin. I embraced sin. But after I got saved, I just couldn't do it. And so it was a process of time. I went back. I... I skipped school one day, and God worked so hard on me. I was sitting there. We bought a case of beer and bought some liquor, and I skipped school. And I knew I had to get home, and I knew I couldn't be too drunk because Mom would know. But while I was sitting there, God convicted me so bad. The Holy Spirit rested on me, and I said, boys, I stood up. And I said, boys, you'll not see me here no more. I said, I'm a Christian. And I'm not supposed to be here. 
And from that and from that day, I went and I went and looked up Brother Bozart. And I thought I was lost again. You know, I thought because I did this, you know, I had lost my salvation. And he told me, "No, Donnie, you not lost your salvation. You lost your track." And he told me I need to rededicate my life. And I went forward in church. And I rededicated my life. And uh, and so uh, from that on, I set my mind I was going to at least try to find out what God wanted. But remember, God's progressive, and so Satan is too. After I'd been in church for a while, I was sitting there, and I was thinking. And the reason I want to share this with you because this was one of the biggest turning points in my life. I was sitting there and I was telling God, I said, now God, I'll do this for you. And I'll do this for you. But I'm not going to wear a three-piece suit. And I'm not going to cut my hair. And I started making a list of demands. And it's like I was telling God, you're really lucky to have me. No, but I'm not going to do this. Just not going to. And then... I was, uh, I come home from school, and then I was sort of thinking this and praying this, and I didn't even know how to pray, so I prayed all the time. And I come find out that's the only scriptural thing that was right to do. But I was in the back room. Mom asked me to, I'll never forget this. Mom asked me to go in the back room. We'd have carpet laid, and she asked me to go in there, clean it up, put all the furniture back. So I, I was picking up the little scraps. I was picking up all the carpet scraps and all that, putting it in a bag. I ran the sweeper for, but this is what happened. It's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and all this was going through my mind. And uh, it's like I opened the Bible, and I'm not sure if it's this same exact scripture, but it's one about being crucified with the Lord. Luke 14, 27, if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. I got an attitude adjustment right then and there. Me not being in Sunday school, me not being in church, not really heard a lot of the gospel conversation, not being in any kind of Bible study. But God said, "It's not you don't to pick and choose, big boy. I'm in control, I'm the boss, and you do what I say. And so that was a that was an early thing that I learned spiritually. I don't think... A lot of us as believers believe, and I, by me teaching Bible classes going on, a lot of times we think we can do that. But doing that, and I'm not saying I've been perfect. I'm not saying that I've not resisted. I'm not saying that I didn't argue with God. You know, God, someone else would be better off, better qualified to do this job. But what I learned was is that whenever I step out in faith and I just simply do what God wants me to do, and when he tells me that I need that out of my life or I need this out of my life or he wants me to do this, when I've learned to simply do that, that I'm not in charge and let him, my life's been a whole lot better. And by doing that, someone who's not really educated, he said, I went to school and I got through high school, but uh, I suffer to this day with my spelling, with a lot of things because I didn't take advantage of things I just wanted out of school and when it came to doing like teaching classes and a lot of things I said God there's always someone better qualified they even sent a as I shared earlier they sent a lady down from Charleston West Virginia 
to make me take my test over, my IQ test, because they thought I cheated on it. They was wondering why my grades were so bad and my, and my IQ was so high. They couldn't figure that out. But in saying all that, say this. By me giving, by when I give access to God and when I tell him yes, even though I've never felt qualified, even as a deacon, I've never felt like I sh should be qualified to teach or do anything else. God has always provided what I needed. And let me tell you what I've seen. I've seen in Celebrate Recovery, but also in my own life, I have seen the power of the gospel set people free from addiction. I've seen the power of God take the meanest, vilest guys on the railroad and turn them into big teddy bears. I've seen God work in ways and fashions that, that only, and I've got to be a part of that, and that's such a blessing. And uh, I've, I've married a woman that God gave me. I, I questioned him a lot on that. Are you sure you want me to marry her? You know, I didn't tell this in 830 service, but I always said I prayed for a woman that looked like Marilyn Monroe, had the heart of Mother Teresa. But what was best for me, he gave me Sheila. But Sheila says I got exactly what I prayed for. But, you know, y'all can vote, take a vote on that. But she told me, she said, Donnie, I can't have kids. She was in a previous relationship in her marriage, and that's why they got divorced. I got married in April, and I was doing a Bible study, and God said, go pray. I went and went prayed, and again, Open the scriptures, rejoice, barren women, you'll have children. And I so told Sheila, I said, God just told me we we're going to have kids. Okay, Donnie, all right. We ended up next April, we had a baby. I have a wife that uh, my mother was dying with cancer, and she was diagnosed with cancer, and she didn't tell me. And uh, I found out the Monday before we went, she's going to have surgery. She didn't, she didn't have it lined up with the doctor. She's going to have her breast removed. She had supposedly breast cancer. The choir prayed. We went Monday. No cancer. I have a wife that probably shouldn't be here. I have, I have been privileged and blessed beyond all means, and I don't deserve it. And it's because of the grace and mercy of God. And when you give back to God, you can't outgive Him. That's my testimony. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 21. And um, as we look in the scripture today, thankful for these testimonies, and that's what we're going to be able to see even. In scripture today and next week as, as well. What we're going to see is um, we belong to something that's called a cooperative program. And um, there's 14 million Southern Baptists all over America, 47,000 um, Southern Baptist churches in America. And, and we pull all of our, our finances, our mission giving together. And because of that, we send out thousands and thousands of missionaries all over the world and make an impact in places that me and you may never be able to get because we cooperate and the idea is this is that we are better together and and we today as a church as we go through life we understand as a church 
as we work together, that we are better together. Um, we cannot do everything that we wanted to do if it was just me or just you, but all of us coming together as a family, we get to reach out for the gospel of our Lord and Savior, um, Jesus Christ. Someone really likes to mess with me, and they move my pulpit every day. When we find out who it is, they're going to get in trouble. Uh, but, um, but we are better together, even that person who moves my pulpit, you know what I'm saying? But what we want to show you today is this, is that there is a teamwork that has to happen in our churches today. And in our churches, we want to speak of personally. Paul uh, was a great ambassador of the Lord uh, for our faith. But when we think of the Apostle Paul, we really think about a tough man. Yesterday was Flo Libby's funeral, and everybody um, knows Paul Libby. Um, Paul Libby's about this tall, um, and he's bald-headed, and, and he was red-headed, and he's red-faced. I think that's what the Apostle Paul looks like. When we get to heaven, look for a little, um, little fiery guy, and I think that's Apostle Paul. If you don't believe that's right, you'll be wrong. But okay, who, so, who cares about something like that, right? Um, but we really think about the Apostle Paul being a uh, bold, tough, um, very um, mature man who stood by what he had to say. And most of us, that's what we think about the Apostle Paul when we think of him. But what we miss is his humility. We miss his gentleness. We miss his willingness to cooperate with other believers. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a very humble self-image. And we see this by how he referred to himself in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. And me and you would consider the Apostle Paul to be the greatest of the apostles. In um, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, who am less than the least of all these saints. Apostle Paul said he's, he's the least on all the list of every saint. He's the last one on that list. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. That's who I am. He understood how sinful a person he truly was. And today we see a prime example of willingness to cooperate in order to keep the church from being torn to pieces. So what we're going to show you today in Scripture in, in Acts chapter 21 is all that we think that Paul is bold, tough man who, who gets his way in absolutely everything. We're going to see teamwork on the side of Paul. We're going to see a willingness to cooperate with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to bring honor and glory to God. We're going to see what it means to work together. So at the very beginning, we start in, in Acts chapter 21. Um, and in chapter 21, verse um, 17, as we start. And when he had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, when Paul went in with, with us to James and all the elders were present, we had, had, we had greeted him, them. He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. So the very first thing we want to show you in this scripture is this. When the Apostle Paul finally came home um, to Jerusalem, they had a welcome home party. They were excited that the Apostle Paul was come, had come back 
and, and, they, and Nason had taken him into their, his home. He had fed him the night that he got there and gave him a good night's sleep. The next morning when they got up, they, they went and they reported to the church of Jerusalem uh, where James was the apostle, where James would have been the pastor of that house, and he had other um, uh, leaders there. And he first thing he does is he tells them, um, he reports humbly how powerful God was working among the Gentiles in all of his missionary journeys. He just started sharing a praise report of how God's saving Gentiles on the uttermost parts of this world. Through Asia, um, through Europe, all this place where God's working, he was able to share that with them. And when he shared that with them, he did it humbly, not to praise himself, but what he wanted to do was to give God the glory. And that's what we do when we say, share our testimonies. We don't give ourselves the glory. Look what I did. Look how hard I worked. What we say is, to God be the glory. If it was not for the grace of God, where would we even be right now? And then the, when the church elders, when the people in the church heard this report, when they heard about all those people getting saved, you know what they did? They praised the Lord. And that's what me and you should do. When you hear about someone repenting of their sins and believing the gospel, praise the Lord. You know what the Bible says the angels in heaven do when someone repents? They rejoice. They're glad. They, they have a shouting fit in heaven when one repenter turns to the Lord. And that's exactly what we should do. Man, you ought to get excited about someone's life being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the elders got excited with the report of the, of the news about what happened. And when we share our testimony, we should love to be able to tell the people how God changed us. And when you hear someone sharing their testimony about how God changed their life, man, it ought to bring joy unspeakable and full of glory to all you are. But the significant change was happening in the Jerusalem church. Most of the apostles had been spread out and preaching in other places. The brother Jesus James is the only one left there in, in Jerusalem. So they have brought in other apostles, uh, no, excuse me, other apostles, other um, leadership, other elders into the Jerusalem church, and things were no longer the same as they were before. But the very first thing we see is this welcome home party. But I just want to share with you, after you get a welcome home party, there's always a pause, and then there's something that, that might be happening after that. I just want to picture this, give you a little example in my personal life. It's 1057, First Baptist Church of Louisa, Kentucky. I'm walking around getting ready to preach the gospel, and somebody walks up beside of me and, and comes in close to me and says, Brother, I know this is not the time nor the place. You know what I say? Shut up. Well, if this ain't the time and this ain't the place, then what in the world are you doing? You know better. Then shut up. I didn't say that, but the truck inside me wanted to say that. You know what I'm saying? You know what I said? I listened. Then the whole time I was preaching, I was like, you know what? I'd like to stomp on that person's head. You ever had that feeling? You're like, you know, squeeze, squeeze them like that? You know, when you have a welcome home, you're excited. But then after that excitement rolls over, they give Paul about two minutes and then they say, you know what, there's people who have been talking. Listen to what those people are saying in verses 21 through 22. Let's do and go back to 20. Um, 
And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. But, listen how many times they say they. They've already said it once, now the second time. But they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Who are they? When I was a kid, me and my dad fought about this all the time. My dad would, I'd get home and my dad would say, you know, they told me you was going pretty fast out there on the road today. And I'm like, who are they? I'd like to have their phone number. I'd like to have their name, you know, because I'd like to talk to these tattletales out there that are destroying my life. You know, I'd like to know who these people are. This don't, I just want to say they, I'd like to have a name. Give me a name. I, I, don't want, I want a name. But these people, they didn't give him a name. They said they, there's these people that are really upset about you. Who are the, they? They're the Jewish believers. The elders uh, praise God at the hearing of this, but they are also having some struggles with people complaining about Paul not um, going along with the Jewish customs like they do would, would feel more comfortable. Why is that? And I don't want to cast blame upon those Jewish believers because think about where they're at in a the time. They've been raised Jewish their whole entire life. Now, because coming to Christ changed who they are, we would immediately think, you know what, the, everything that I do in the Jewish would no longer mean anything, but it was the complete opposite. After they came to Christ, everything they ever did in the, their Jewish traditions, every festival they ever had, the Passover, the most important thing of the year to their life, it finally made sense. Now they understood why they had Passover. They understood why they applied the blood to the doorpost. Because Jesus' blood covers us from all unrighteousness. So when they heard about Christ and they came to Christ and they repented of their sins, all that Jewish stuff that they had been doing ritualistically for really no meaning their whole entire life now had a meaning and they believed in it and now they understood what God was doing and they got zealous, excited about the law of God because it finally meant something to them. So they were keeping the law better than they kept the law before they met Christ. So now they're hearing that the, this apostle Paul is preaching and the Gentiles are coming to the Lord and they're not becoming Jews, they shouldn't be, but the ones that should have been Jews should have been doing it better. They were upset. But the apostles did not oppose this continuation of the practices. It was normal to them. They allowed them to stay in this continuation. Um, one of the readers, if you want to read a, a great theologian, his name is Dr. Barnhouse. And the book of Hebrews, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, and Dr. Donnie talked about Lamentations, crack open the book of Hebrews. Man, it's difficult. But listen to what he says about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. If you've ever read the book of Hebrews, that sentence makes a lot of understanding out of that whole entire book. But what happened to the Jews who had been zealously um, keeping the law 
in the year 70, the temple was destroyed. So all of that Jewish worship, what happened? It ceased. And they've never had it ever since, 70 A.D. And here we are in 2023. So it all took care of itself anyway. But these rumors started. And listen to me, please, from the bottom of my heart. I know it's already 12 o'clock, but this. When you hear a rumor, remember this. Rumors are usually false. When someone whispers to you a rumor, the reason they're whispering it is because it's probably a lie. I'm not saying every rumor is a lie, but the majority of them are lies. If they were going to tell you the truth, there would be no need to whisper. They could just speak normally. But what we had to be careful, they had these rumors about the Apostle Paul that he was doing something that he was not doing. We know this through Scripture. Paul never opposed circumcision of the Jewish believers. Um, in Acts chapter 16, verse um, 3, we can tell you, you can ask Timothy. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, talking about Timothy. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that he, his father was Greek. So ask Timothy if, if, how, how uh, Paul believed about following Jewish traditions. He'd be able to share with you a, a thing or two. It was a rumor. It was false. And the second thing we see in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, that we covered just a few weeks ago, the Bible says that so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed to, for, for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and he had his hair cut off at Chinchari, for he was taking a vow. Paul himself took a Nazarite vow in Acts chapter 18 and verse 18. So he, they were accusing him of not obeying any laws, not keeping the law of Moses. But we know through Scripture that he did each and every one of those things. Be careful with rumors. So I want to show you real quick, what, how is Paul going to respond to someone lying about him, talking about him behind his back? And listen to what he does in verse 23 through 26. In verse 23 says this, Therefore... Do what we tell you. And I want to stop right there just for a second. These men, elders of the church of Jerusalem, look at the apostle Paul and say, you do what I tell you to do. Therefore, do what I tell you, what we tell you. You know what? Paul had the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul could have said at that moment? Wait a minute. Under what authority do you tell me what to do? You know what? I tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. You know what? Unfortunately, if Chuck Price was in Paul's place at that time and someone said, you know what? Therefore, do what I tell you. He's like, hey, you, you just step back. You don't, you're not, who are you to tell me what to do? I get to decide what to do here. I'm the preacher, not you. But Paul was what? Listen to his humility. Listen to how he lives because he loves these people. And his desire is for these people to grow in faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 23, what he does. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those, three, those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself Walk orderly and keep the law. 
but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written about and decided that they should observe no such things, except that they should keep themselves from the things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So what he's asking is here, to make these people go away, to make them know that you're really not doing this, we want you to be a part of these four guys having making this Nazarite vow. Um, so what does this Nazarite vow entail? If you have time today, open up the Bible to Numbers chapter 6 later on today or tomorrow, and you can read on those things and explain, it'll explain you exactly what the Nazarite vow is. Um, the, it comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, N-A-Z-I-R, and it simply means to be separated or to be consecrated, to be set apart. And there's some ways that this is taken care of. The very first thing to take, to take the Nazarite vow, it has to be completely voluntarily. You cannot be coerced or forced into taking this Nazarite vow. You can't take it because your mommy wants you to take it. Or you can't take it because grandma always told you you should. You take it voluntarily. This is what you want to do. It could be taken by a man or a woman. It does not matter, no, no time. But there's a specific time frame that you choose that you are wholly separated from, from for God at that purpose. So there's a specific time frame. And what you have to do is you have to abstain from anything that comes from the grapevine. You can't eat a grape. You can't eat a raisin. You can't drink grape juice. You can't drink wine. Nothing alcoholic whatsoever can able to touch your lips. And not only that, but you have to, you cut your hair and then you never have to touch it after that. It, it completely grows out. And not, you're not to go near a dead body. If you take the, the Nazareth vow and someone dies in your family, you cannot get anywhere close to that body of that dead person. So these things you had to do to take care of that. And you say, well, you know what? Why in the world would anybody want to take this Nazareth vow? Why? Because they wanted to be holy, acceptable unto God. You know what? That should be the desire that me and you have in our lives today. I don't want you to go out there and take a Nazarite vow. We are Gentiles, and we don't have that. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I do believe it's an awesome time today to separate yourself from this world, to be able to be consecrated unto the faith and believe and trust and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is this a time to live in the sin of this world? Is this a time to roll in the mud holes? Or should what we do have a desire to separate ourselves, live different from this world, and bring honor and glory to God. So what Paul did was he agreed, and he had to take part of this. He paid half the, paid the expenses for these four men who had the vow of the Nazarite. He had to purify himself, and this was what was hard for the apostle Paul because he had to be made ceremonial clean. Why did he have to be made ceremonial clean? Because he was in fellowship with Gentiles. Paul would, was, was unclean because of, of his contact with the Gentiles. And Paul understood that that was not true. He knew what the Bible said. He, he'd not read the book of Hebrews yet, but God had already worked on him, and he understood that today. Even though Paul knew he did not have to keep this ceremony law to be right with God, to do so, it was going to help the cause that was in. Because you know what? He had to be ceremonially cleansed because he spent time with the Gentiles. But Paul knew that he did not need to be cleansed by a, 
a priest because he had been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. He had been covered by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was not dirty because of a Gentile. He was not dirty because of someone died. He was dirty because of sins that he had committed. And by trusting in the Lord and today, and same way with me and you, the only way we can become righteous, only way that we can have our sins forgiven, only way that we can be as white as snow is be by covered by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by believing and trusting in him today. Amen. That's what Paul knew, but he continued to do this. Why did he continue to do this? Because he loved those people. He wanted those people to know Jesus and to have a close relationship with those people because you know what Jesus taught him? The same thing that Jesus has taught me and you, that we need to love one another. Not argue with one another, not hate one another, but to love one another. But how are we to love one another? Just as Christ has loved us. You know what Christ had upon Paul? Mercy. Paul held the coat of the men who stoned Stephen and killed him. God had mercy on Paul and saved him from his sins. And Paul knows if God had mercy on me, I want to have mercy on everybody else. And he loved these people that they, who lied about him, who used him. He, he talked bad about him, yet he still loved them. And he wanted them to grow in their faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without compromising biblical truth, Paul agrees to the elders' proposal. Every single one of us in this room today know of a good church fight. No matter how young you are or how old you are, Every one of us knows of a good, juicy, good old-fashioned, knock-down, drag-out church fight. Something that happened, someone said this, someone said that. And unfortunately this, let me share this from the bottom of my heart. Every single person in this room, including myself, has been hurt by church. A church fight. I was a preacher's kid. I, I saw things I wish I'd never seen. I heard things I wish I'd never heard. And I really held... Um, a lot back in my heart about, about believers for a long time until God realized, made me realize I was a bigger hypocrite than all of, them, all of them combined. And as Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I have to agree with Paul that I may be the chief of sinners, not Paul. And I realized those people that I hated so much in church that hurt me and my family, I was much worse than they ever thought about being. And I repented of my sins, and I believed the gospel. Today, if church has hurt you, I'm sorry. But you know what? Jesus saved you. And what you can do is trust him. Does that mean you should go get away from church? No. <laughs> church is, is Jesus' way for all of us coming together. It'd be so easy if we could just all sit at the house. We wouldn't have church fights at all. We wouldn't have to worry about nothing because you know what? We'd be all by ourselves. But you know what? When we come together as a church family, God teaches us to cooperate with one another, to love one another, and to work together to bring honor and glorify his holy name. 
Paul's humility put a huge fire out in the church. You know what I know that every single one of us have to make a decision in our lives. And I know that none of us are here or volunteer fire department people. Because I've asked that question before. You should be. But what we need is some volunteer firefighters. Jed, they, we got one here. Do I sauce now saw him? We need some volunteer fire department people. Because when you see a fire in church, the very first thing you ought to do is go stomp it out. You ought to be having a desire in your life not to have any fire in church. When you see an argument, when you see a rumor, when you see something like that, you should be like a fire department guy wanting to put that fire out as quick as possible. But sometimes in life, there's people who are not fire volunteer fire department, but they're the arson. They see a little fire, and they start flaming it, start throwing some gas on it, and they get it bigger and bigger and bigger until it's burnt the whole place down. You know what? You're saying, oh no, what's happening in our church? You know what? That's why we preach through the word. Because God had us here that I never got us, got us here because right now we're as peace as we can be. But we have no idea what's coming down the road or what's happening outside of our lives. But what we need are people like Paul that have a humble spirit and that love one another. They don't want to fight, don't want to kill, don't want to hurt, but want to bring love that Christ has loved us. And the song that we sing, and, I, and I've asked the, the group to sing it for us this afternoon, is, is the last, last thing there um, for me, if you could find that. And they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. You know, anybody in this world can love someone who loves them. Ain't no big deal at all. But for you to love someone who talks about you and spread rumors about you and lies about you, if you can love that person, there is something very weird about you. There is something very odd about you. And listen, his name is Jesus. While me and you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how much he loves us. And today, that's the love that we should have for one another. And this world should see that love in us. Our invitation today is simply this. Lord, people know me by how much I love people. Change my heart and allow me to love one another as you have loved me. And this morning, if you're not a believer and you're saying, you know what? And I share this please from my heart. We have a different way of evangelism in Louisville, Kentucky. When I share my faith out here on a daily basis in Louisa, I can't share my faith like I share my faith in New York City or Josh, Romania or California. Because out there I can sit down and just share with somebody about Jesus Christ and, and they'll listen and they'll understand that. But here in Louisa, Kentucky, if I sit down with someone and start telling them about Jesus, they stop me. They know all about it. Their papa was a preacher. You know him. Everybody in Lawrence County. 
and someone hurt them. And they'll never go back to church ever again. So my evangelism is simply that. Those people who hurt you, God has to forgive them just the way he forgives you. And even though we're holding that grudge, we have to realize that Jesus died for us all. And what we have to know is this. People need the Lord all over this place. And God's put us right here in the Bible Belt. And just because we're in the Bible Belt don't mean that we can't have to tell people about Jesus. But we got to tell people about the love that Jesus has for us. If you don't know about that love, today is that day. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we love you. And we're so amazed, Lord, that you love us. And I ask today that what you would do would open our eyes to your gospel. That we realize when we were your enemies, you died on that cross for us. But that's how you showed us your love. By dying for us while we hated you. And Lord, thank you so much for loving us that way. And today, by believing on you, we have everlasting life. But also, you have given us your Holy Spirit so that way we can love just like you love. Lord, allow us today to love one another just as you have loved us. In Jesus' precious name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today. so graciously given us today we're going to actually going to have to have some extra help this morning with ushers because we have a few that are are out sick um thanking you for coming up and giving us a hand today um bobby would you mind praying for us and asking god's blessing over this this offering first let us pray lord god we thank you this morning lord we thank you for the service you've given us and father we thank you for the message this morning brother donnie's testimony Father, how the gospel is in his life and how that, uh, God, you see to it that folks might encounter him down through his life that uh, he continued to hear the gospel. Brother Chuck's message, how that, uh, Father, we need to be together in love. And we ask you to bless this uh, uh, offering, Lord, that we could use it to help build your kingdom. And Father, that we could be better Christians.
Christians that we claim to be, and just just love one another, love the lost, and what you showed us to do, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. up here real quick are they is Jen still here is anybody here are they here we didn't run them off here They're, the girls are getting ready to leave uh, Tuesday is that right Tuesday for um, um, uh, Disney World Robbie would you come up and pray for them as uh, they're getting ready to go and I know they're excited about that and I don't know if you know 19 going these girls spend more time in church than you all spend in church <laughs> They're here every day for like three hours a day. I mean, they're, they're, they're hard workers. There's no place you'd rather be right here. So they're the, probably the ones who moved my pulpit. If I, if I could put it down, they're, they're, the, they're the ones I'm going to play. But, uh, uh, Robbie, would you pray for these young ladies to keep them safe? And is it all right that we pray that they win? Is that something we're allowed to do? I don't know. Because <laughs> those, those, girls, those other girls might not be Christians. So, you know, we can, I don't know. Um, but we hope they are, not that they are, but, but we'll just pray for us, Robbie, and ask God's blessing over these, these young ladies. Before we pray, I, there's one thing I'd like to make a comment about. Um, we're blessed here in Lawrence County to have so many Christian coaches, so many Christian teachers, so many Christian folks that work with our kids on a daily basis. Um, and if you look around our sports programs, we have a lot of folks that spend time pouring the Bible Amen. into our young people, and I'm so thankful for that happened long before I came, and I hope it continues to happen here and even beyond because, again, like Jennifer and so many others, they spend so much time praying for our kids. Now, for those of us that, uh, that you know, we have kids going through those programs, we're so thankful for that. And I just want to say, you know, as, as superintendent, and more importantly as a father, that's so important to me. Sure. So if you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and, and bow our heads and let's pray for these young ladies. Most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, dear Lord and Savior, we come to you first and foremost.